Well, good morning, church. If we have not had the privilege of getting to meet, uh, my name is Megan Maserol, and I serve here as the director of Serve Ministries. But today, it is my honor to get to share God's word with you. And so whether you're joining me here in this room or online, I'm so thankful that you're here. Today, our scripture is going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn there with me. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be on the screen for you to follow along. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, going through verse 10. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming of ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in, it, in advance for us that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Well, God, I am so grateful and so thankful that your word is true. And your word says that where two or more are gathered in your name, that you are here with us. And so, God, I just recognize you, that you are here among us. And, God, what a gift that it is that we get to fellowship openly and praise your name with abandon. God, thank you for every single person who is in this room and joining us online. God, with all of us here, would you just take the totality of our being and make it surrendered to you? That we would be completely open for what you have for us today. That we would hear and receive the exact message that our heart and our soul came into this space needing. And that we would walk out of here looking different than when we came in. God, we we give you this time. We surrender it to you. And we ask all of this 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm about to say something pretty controversial. I know that's probably like a really great way to start a sermon, but I'm, I'm okay with that. And this is a spicy take, okay? This is a not popular opinion. And I know that I'm going to have several people in the room disagree with me. And listen, I, I've made peace with that. I've made peace with that as I have come up here right now and said that I'm going to tell you my controversial opinion, okay? I hate chocolate. I know, I know, I know, I, I do, but I really, really do. Um, I have had friends and family all over the years that just can't believe that this would be true, have me try chocolate in several different ways, and I'm here to tell you that my answer stays the same. You know, and I think about holidays where, where chocolate is really celebrated, and I obviously think of Valentine's Day, right? And whether it's, it's my friends in real life or, or people that I see on social media, there's often this phraseology that's thrown around that says, Skip the flowers, just buy me chocolate. And, and then something even more audacious happens. People take my least favorite fruit, the strawberry, and they dip it in my least favorite sweet. Oh, I just, I can't, I can't, I'm sorry. I just, I just can't do it. So as I have told People that I have dated, fellow suitors, potential suitors out there, and anyone who wants to give me any kind of gift, specifically on Valentine's Day, I am here to tell you, please skip the chocolate and buy me flowers. <laughs> please buy me flowers, because I love flowers. <laughs> like, I, I really, really, really love flowers. And listen, I know that I've got some people in this space that are flower haters, okay? I know your argument. Your argument is, well, they're so expensive and they just die. And for that, I will say that I am worth the investment and I love pressed dead flowers. <laughs> so that's the end of that. <laughs> but I for real, I really do love flowers, and specifically my favorite flower is a sunflower. I love sunflowers. And I love them for, for a couple of different reasons. Um, mainly, they illuminate their namesake, right? If you look at a sunflower, they are bright and yellow, and they look almost like the sun, they can grow really, really tall. And if you've seen a field of sunflowers, they are just radiant. They're radiant. And sunflowers are also this beautiful emblem of constancy. Because if you've ever seen them in a field, they follow the sun wherever it leads. 
It's beautiful to watch them. Now, have you ever seen a sunflower at night? If you've ever seen a sunflower at night, they look terrible. Horrible. Limped over, (laughs) wilted, not cute. Not something I want you to buy me, okay? They look dead, lifeless. You would look at a field of these, these sunflowers at night and think, there's no way. There's no way life can be revived in them. They're dead. They're gone. But then the sun comes up, and they're revived. And they again follow the sun wherever it leads, reflecting the source of its life. In our text today, we are also met with the stark difference of what it looks like to be dead and to be alive. Now, before we jump in to these verses, I think some context is really helpful here. So Paul is the writer of this letter to the Ephesians, what we know as the book of Ephesians. If you're asking who's Paul, that's another sermon for another time. But in in short, Paul is an apostle, a messenger of teachings. And he had a very successful couple of years of missionary ministry in the city of Ephesus. And many a years later, he would find himself imprisoned by the Romans and decided to write this letter as he addresses to the saints in Ephesus. And that's this letter that we call the book of Ephesians. And in this whole book of Ephesians, Paul summarizes the gospel story. And he's inviting us to look at the gospel story and how it should reshape ours. So let's jump in here. From the very beginning, we are invited to remember death. How uplifting. How uplifting. Starting in verse 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. There's a few things I want us to notice here. First, Paul is not describing a physical death here. The ways that you walked in your trespasses and sins. Paul is describing someone not who is physically dead, but who is spiritually sick. And and Paul here is making the case that without God's redeeming love through Christ, this is our fate. 
This was our fate. And this is our confrontation. To be confronted by the fact that we were sons of disobedience. Children of wrath. Dead. And that, that feels heavy. Because it should. Because it should. We have to know and grasp the magnitude of the problem to understand the power of the solution. We were broken without a way to save ourselves. We were following the enemy. And and another key element that I want us to notice here in these first three verses is that Paul is talking all in the past tense. Once walked, once lived. This was our state, but this is not the end of our story. But God, we turn a corner. But we have to be confronted by our spiritual state to then be transformed by his grace through faith. If verses 1 through 3 are our confrontation, then verses 4 through 9 are our transformation. Let's pick up and read there, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In the midst of our broken place, God's love came. Through Christ, we are given a new name, alive. We're alive in Christ. And I think it's important to address here this stark language that's being used, dead and alive. This language is intentional. It's purposeful because it's the weighty truth. Because any, anything less than us being dead disrespects the power of the resurrection. Anything less makes the crucifixion unnecessary. I mean, think about it. If we weren't totally dead, 
totally depraved, totally desolate, without any chance of saving ourselves. If there was some chance that we could figure this out and actually save ourselves, then all of this is meaningless. Jesus, in his journey to the cross and rising again from the tomb, has no power because there didn't need to be power because we weren't actually dead. But friends, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Our confrontation with sin and death leads us to transformation with life in Christ. Confrontation, transformation. Now here's a revelation, and don't miss this. This passage of scripture right here gets to be a confession for the believer and is an invitation for the seeker. It's a confession for the believer to remember that this was our state apart from Christ. To remember what he freed us from. And then to rejoice that we have been made alive and new in Christ. How great is our Lord. And for the seeker, this is an invitation. It's an invitation to recognition of the current reality. An invitation to feel the weight of the broken place that we all are in apart from Christ. And it's an invitation to let God rewrite your story. For God to make something dead alive. None of us could have earned this. None of us deserve this. But this gift is a gift from God that we are given to remember and receive. And once we have received this transformation, then our life gets to be a celebration. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him beforehand, that we should walk in them. Our lives get to have the joy of discovering all of the new tasks and good works that God prepared in advance for us to walk in. We were made for this, to be alive in Christ and let everything about us give glory do his name. God changed our identity so then he could change our activity. 
And listen, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, Megan, I, I believe you. I believe you. I, I would say that I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe this is true for me. But how, how do I do this, right? How do I walk in these good works? How do I identify what these good works are? And then how do I do them? I would say two things. One, the same grace that saved you is the same grace that supplies you and equips you to do these good works that God has laid out for you and for me. The second would be if you want a guaranteed starting place, like a guaranteed good work that you don't have to think about, you know God has called this and said it's good and I can walk in it and know the Holy Spirit is leading me, no question, no doubt. Where's that starting place? The great commandment. To love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. We get to celebrate this gift of life that's been given to us when we walk out into the world and we love God and love people. That's our life. That's our mission. And and whether it's to another country or two houses down the road from us, this transformation that we've been given is not just for us. And listen, if we say that we really believe this and that we really believe that without Christ we are dead and we have no hope, but yet we are people that would say that we love others, how unloving and selfish do we have to be to keep this to ourselves? First, we, we look up, and then we look out to the world around us, and we ask God to show us the people, lead us by the Holy Spirit, to show us who we are to love like Jesus matters. And then we go do it. And then we actually go do it. And we let our lives reflect that of a sunflower. That we too would follow the sun, Jesus, wherever he leads. And that we would be a radiant reflection of his life in grace as we receive his source of life. So something that many of you in the room probably don't know about me is that I am a writer. I love to write. Uh, writing has carried me through 
some of the deepest and darkest timelines in my story. And it's also been one of the first ways that I go to celebrate and rejoice seasons of gratitude that are happening in my life. And God has used writing as a way to interweave truths and make them permanent in my heart. And so this week, as I was preparing this sermon to to share with you all, uh, God just started working in me and started producing something that was really quite beautiful. And I'm going to share that writing with you all. And it's going to be in a form that's called spoken word. And if you've never heard of spoken word or don't know what that means, I'll give you the Megan Maserol definition. It's a poem with some flair and a little bit of attitude, okay? Uh, But without further ado, um, this is how I want to close out our time together. He is risen. Yes, he is risen indeed. We proclaimed that truth just recently. But I'm oddly struck by a notion or a posture to live so quickly like the resurrections no longer. You see, if we really believe what's written in this book, then our lives might reflect how our Easter social media looked. And I mean this in love and out of no disrespect, but friends, we have been saved not to sit. We have been saved to be sent. Because while our very nature screamed broken, God's grace says chosen. Our past is a depraved history, but, our, but not our present reality. We were dead, yes, in our trespasses and sins, but now we get to exclaim that our God lives. We emphasize the death in which we were walking, so now we can point this new life all to his glory. The mission we were on is dead. We were on someone else's team. Now our mission is renewed and revived by Christ's victory. Made alive together with Christ. This love invites us in, knits us with, and forever reminds us that we are his. So beloved, we are called to live like this actually matters. If our lives lack the echo of the empty tomb, the world will say we are just actors. So how do we do this? Living on mission like Jesus is our savior? It's really quite simple. We're just called to love our neighbor. Whether it's across the street or across the seas, our love requires action out of our new identity. By grace, we have been saved. We were doomed on our own. Now our mission is a partnership that leads us and others home. 
with our souls secured, we are called to be about the work of sharing the gospel, the hope that never runs out. By his workmanship, we are created new. By his wounds, we are healed. Now go, love God and love people and watch his kingdom be revealed. Thank <laughs> you.